Thank you, Bob, and thank you for <clears throat> leading us this morning. Ryan and the worship team, we, we sang God's Word at the very beginning as we sang the, the Lord's Prayer. We have sang about how firm a foundation we have in Christ and in His Word, and we've prayed that God would speak to us. We pray, saying, speak, O Lord, so our hearts have been tuned to the Word of God this morning, and that is important and that's key because of the way that God's word is instrumental in the way that God's kingdom advances in this world. Have you ever thought about the fact that God's kingdom, the Lord's kingdom advances through you, that we have a king who speaks to us, which is a bit shocking in itself, that we get to talk to the king, and that his kingdom advances through the words that he speaks to us. And then he speaks through us to others as his word comes to us and then through us to others. Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher from England, tells a remarkable story. In 1857, a day or two before preaching at the Crystal Palace, Charles Spurgeon went to decide where the platform should be fixed. And in order to test the acoustic properties of the building, he cried out in a loud voice, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In one of the galleries, a workman who knew nothing of what was being done heard the words, and they came like a message from heaven to his soul. He was smitten with conviction on account of sin, put down his tools, went home, and there, after a season of spiritual struggling, found peace in life by beholding the Lamb of God. It's a remarkable story about a man just going about his normal duties, hearing the words of King Jesus through one of his preachers, and then it pierced his soul, and the Lord used it to save him from his sin. He heard the word of God, considered it, and then was drawn into God's kingdom. This is the way the Lord's kingdom advances. He speaks through his word and his people, and then his, his people are brought into his kingdom. So what our Lord emphasizes here in Mark chapter 4 this morning, if you have your Bibles, please open there, is the vitality of hearing the word of Jesus and responding rightly. The kingdom of God comes to those that hear the word of Jesus and respond rightly. Hear the words of the king. So Mark has been swiftly revealing who Jesus is, calling followers. Mark showing us who Jesus, what the work that he's doing. And now we've seen that throughout the first few chapters of Mark these different groups of people. There are disciples and believers who are trusting in Jesus. They're following him. There are religious leaders and scribes. They're just looking for ways to condemn Jesus, to try to find ways to actually kill him. And even his own family is wondering, is Jesus lost his mind? Is he crazy? And Mark has moved quickly, but then all of a sudden in chapter 4 here, he slows way down. And he starts to include parables about the kingdom of God. And these parables are going to shed light on why some have rejected Jesus and others are received by him. So remember that these parables are just things that Jesus is setting beside a truth. He's sharing concrete images in a parable to show truths about the kingdom of God. And he's going to use some from sowing and from agriculture that this current context would have been very familiar with. And he's doing this to show us how the kingdom of God advances in chapter 4. The kingdom of God is 
where God's reign is recognized through the Lord Jesus Christ. So right now, the kingdom of God exists in the hearts of his people, wherever Jesus is trusted, wherever the crucified and risen Savior is treasured and obeyed and followed as king, right there is the kingdom of God. It's not confined to geographical regions, but spiritual terms where Jesus is Lord, where people hear him and obey him as king. And the emphasis in our parable this morning is hearing the words of our king. Entrance into the kingdom of God and life within the kingdom of God hinges on what we do as we hear the words of Jesus. So we'll see that King Jesus speaks and we'll see that the kingdom spreads. King Jesus speaks and the kingdom spreads. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced a grain, a growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, Everything is parables, is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. These, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. What we see right out of the gate is that we have a king who speaks. King Jesus speaks. And you want this to be a startling reality that we get to hear from the king so this is a privilege. This is an honor. Look at verses 33 and 34 of chapter 4. I know we didn't read those. But towards the end of this little series of parables in verses 33, he'll say, With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So we have a king, a Jesus, who delights to speak, who delights to teach, 
And our hearing is the critical concern in this chapter. The verb to hear occurs 13 times in this chapter. So there's a call to hear, a very important call to hear. But notice how personal Jesus is to slow down, to speak, to explain, to teach. He's a remarkable man in this way. He's very generous with his words. I admit to my own shame, I'm not always generous with my words. There's a moment in my day where I have maxed out on my word count. And I'm not always generous with my words. <laughs> I have just reached the end of my capacities. Jesus is not that way. He's so intentional to teach, to inform, to slow down and pull, pull his disciples aside and make sure they understand. Just notice how generous he is with his words in this, in this story. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. There's crowds again. A large crowd gathered about him. And that could be viewed as a great obstacle to what he's trying to do. But he doesn't treat them as an obstacle. He treats them as an opportunity. So he, he pulls a boat around, gets in the boat so that he can get out and speak to the whole crowd. It's remarkable that how generous he is here. And in verse 2, he was teaching them many things in parables. Many things. This inexhaustible wisdom of the Lord just flowed out of him over and over. Look at verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. He, so he's, he's pausing and he's opening up for questions to make sure they're understanding. He's willing to get alone with you and make sure you understand so you can see things more clearly. Reminds me of what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That's what Jesus is doing. Think about this, guys, and then let me help you understand. Four, chapter 4, verse 15, 16, 18, and 20. Constant call to hear. Hear the word of God because he's constantly speaking. He's just generous. And then verse 34, like we read there at the beginning, he, he doesn't mind to get alone and explain things privately and clarify confusion. He's just a generous man with his words. Generous to speak, generous to sit down, Generous to make sure you understand. That's our king. But he's also authoritative with his words. Notice the authority in the way he speaks. Chapter 4, verse 3. What he says there, listen. It's a command. So Jesus can just, hey, listen. And then he says, behold. So listen, look, look. I was a fourth grade teacher for a time. Teachers always have the, these one, two, three eyes on me. You know, they always have these like, and everybody else claps. If you were still in elementary, you would have done, you would have done three claps after, if you were in my class, anyway. You have ways to gather, gain the attention because you're saying like, I'm the teacher in the room, I'm the authority. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Listen, behold. And look at chapter four, verse nine. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a command. This is a command to carefully consider our Lord's word, to strive to understand them. Dig a little deeper. Look a little harder. Think this over. Roll it around in your head. Give it your whole attention. Give it your whole engagement, right? This demands our entire engagement. The first three soils, as we read through, they're not going to hear well. It's going to be superficial, right? 
It's like the husband that the wife's telling him something and he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. yep. Right, this is very superficial hearing, not taking it in completely and listening and engaging. I hope I didn't stir the pot there at all. <laughs> Jesus' voice demands our whole attention because he's a, he speaks with authority. Listen, behold, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But also, he has that authority because of the content of what he's saying. He has authority in what he speaks. Verse 11, when he goes to the disciples and gets them alone there, he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. He, he has the capacity to speak into the kingdom because he's the king. Verse 26, he'll go on, and later in the chapter, verse 30, he's going to say these parables explain the kingdom of God. What should we compare the kingdom of God to? Well, the king gets to decide. The king gets to explain. So he's generous with his words, but his words have all divine authority. He's saying, I know what the Old Testament kingdom of God promises are. I know how they are to be realized. I know how they are to be fulfilled. And you need to listen. So I'm the centerpiece of it all. Whatever national hopes you've attached to the kingdom of God, whatever institutional ideas you had about the kingdom of God, whatever political agendas you thought were coming with the kingdom of God, understand them in light of what I am saying as the king. Jesus has that authority. He speaks generously and he speaks with authority. He knows the kingdom of God because he's the king. And it, how it will be brought about, he knows because he's gonna bring it about in his own life. And so then he begins to help us understand through the parable of the sower. So the king speaks and the kingdom spreads. When the king speaks, the kingdom spreads. And this is the picture we get of sowing from Jesus here. So the kingdom is like a man who's sowing. Sowing oftentimes in the Old Testament is associated with the renewal of God's people. Ezekiel 36, eight and following speaks of a day when God will yield fruit for, their pe for his people. He says, I'm for you. I will turn to you. You'll be tilled and sown and then you'll be multiplied and you'll be fruitful. That's the dynamic at play in our text this morning. Sowing is a marking of the renewal of the people of God. And here's Jesus saying, I'm coming, we're sowing, the kingdom of God is coming, a renewal is coming in him. And look at verse 14, what are they sowing? There's a sower sowing. In verse 14, the sower sows the word. The word, we're trying to gain understanding of how the kingdom spreads here. So it's like a sower sowing, which is a marking of a renewal of the people of God. And he's sowing the word, the word concerning Christ. Here is Jesus proclaiming the gospel, right? This is why he came, he said, I came to preach. And in the very first chapter of Mark, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 118, Mark 118. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the word that is sown. It's the word concerning Christ revealed to us in his word. So the seed that is sown is the word, and the word is meant to be sown. It's meant to be cast out broadly. And this is how the kingdom of God advances, through the very sowing of words, the words of Jesus, the words of God. Our call is to share the word of truth 
with those around us to speak the good news of Jesus Christ to see the kingdom of Jesus advance. So like a farmer who goes out to sow a field, he broadcasts it out into the soil. He's reaching into his bag and casting it out onto the ground. This is the question we have for ourselves. Are we, is this something, a pattern in our life? Someone sowing the word and receives the word from Jesus, time with Jesus, receives the word from our king, and goes out and sows the word, spreads the word. Someone in your life sowed God's word upon your heart. They sowed God's word into your mind. And what a gift that is to you. And now we're called to receive the word from Jesus, bear fruit in our lives, and sow it out. We spend time with Jesus, and then we're sent out by Jesus with his word. We, we do this, this pattern in our life. And this is how the kingdom spreads. This does not just happen when I'm up here on a Sunday. This is not exclusive to preachers or elders or super spiritual people. They don't exist. <laughs> we, all, we all have the Spirit of God in us. This happens when you're talking to your neighbor at the coffee shop. This happens when you invite friends over for dinner that you've met at the ball field. This happens when you grab a bite to eat with a coworker after work one day and ask him how his life is and you begin to share the hope you have in the Lord. This happens over dinner when you ask your kids, how are things going? What's going on in your life? What'd you learn at church today? And you help them think through things in light of God's word. The sowing is the result. This is sowing the word of God on people's hearts around you in the normal everyday activities of life. And you trust the word to do the work. You trust the Lord to work in and through the word. You, here's the beauty of it, is Jesus's kingdom will advance. We're called to sow the word and spread it, but not to save. We don't have the capacity to save. We sow the word and leave it to Jesus. Some people won't understand, but we, we keep telling them, and then we trust God to open their eyes. You share the word, the spirit works through the word. We've been talking about having someone in your heart, on your mind, that you're praying for regularly, that you're asking God to save them, you're asking God to open the doors of the gospel so that you can share the good news about, the, about Jesus with them, you're asking God to soften their hearts, continue that. This is our hope that when those doors open and you share the word of Jesus Christ with them, the Lord is gonna advance his kingdom through the word that's sown. We, we sow the word. Caution, don't adjust don't adjust the seed, right? Don't adjust what you're sowing. What, what, what more do we have, what more hope do we have in than Jesus working through his word? We can't, we don't wanna sow self-improvement or political platforms or social reform. Nothing brings eternal life like Jesus. Nothing else presents the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Nothing else shines so brightly as the gospel of Jesus. This alone can bring people from the blinding power of the God of this world and open their eyes to see Jesus Christ. The gospel alone shows how a sinful, hell-bound people can find God to be a father, no longer a judge, and eternal life in Jesus. This alone can awaken us from deadness in our sin and give new life. There's nothing else that connects us to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ than his word. So we sow his word. 
And we don't have to worry about sowing too broadly. Did you notice how the sower almost looks careless? Like if the sower is your kid and you're walking with him and you're, you're seeing him throw it on the path, you're probably going to be like, hey, you don't throw it on the path. It's not going to grow there, right? This, this sower is not worried about that. They're sowing generously, sowing broadly. And that's what we do. We, we sow everywhere. Wherever we find ourselves, we can sow generously and trust God to do his work. Jesus can speak generously. We, he speaks generously, so we sow generously. Every corner of the field received seed and trust that God's seed will find good soil. We speak his word. We trust him to cause the growth. Now Mark, this section, Mark 4, 1 through 20, has something that Mark likes to do a lot. They, scholars call it a Mark and Sandwich. Scholars always come up with like the most complicated ways to explain simple things. But the, the Mark and Sandwich is a sandwich in the book of Mark where it's got something in the front, something on, or on the top, something on the bottom, and then some, the meat's in the middle. And we all know that the meat's the most important part of a sandwich, right? Can we all agree on that? So you have the seeds and the soils in verses 1 through 9. The meat in the middle, an explanation, and then seeds and soils again down at the bottom, just like the sandwich. The center is the key. The meat's in the middle. The sandwich isn't a sandwich without meat, in my opinion. So we sow, we sow the word. We trust Jesus with the results. But right in the middle of this, we're going to look at this middle piece, and then we'll look at the soils. We find the meat, the purpose of the parables, the explanation of what Jesus is doing. So look at verses 10 through 12. We sow the word and trust Jesus with the results because there's two dynamics at play. The state of the hearer's heart, the soil, and the sovereign purposes of God. So verses 10 through 12 says, When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So the disciples are gifted with insight into the kingdom of God. Not everyone had this, so this is a gift, this is a privilege, and it comes out of their intimacy and their union and their, their fellowship with Jesus. And because of their fellowship with Jesus, they got to understand this parable. Intimacy with Jesus granted them clarity into his word. These parables, Jesus says, are like a stained glass window. From outside, it just looks dull and lifeless. From the inside, it radiates beauty and glory. And Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6, when God's people had hardened their hearts towards God and rejected his word. And he gave them over to their depraved mind and heart. And then they continually resisted the message of Isaiah in this time. And Jesus is bringing this up, saying the preaching of the gospel and the kingdom of God is like this. Hearts are hard towards Christ. They're dead in their sin. They're enslaved by the prince of the power of the air. Their eyes are blinded to the God of this world. They're held captive by him to do his will. And so we should not be surprised by a failure to respond. It should not shock us when sinful people love their sin and don't turn to Jesus. 
because all hearts start hard, all eyes start blind, all ears are clogged. It's a kindness of God to open them. But the parables are like the clouds separating the Egyptians from the Israelites when God was delivering out of slavery. To the Egyptians, it gave great darkness, and to the Israelites, it brought light. It brought guidance. Now, Jesus would not bring this up to discourage us. That would not be the point that Jesus would bring up this truth that people's hearts are hard towards God, and that some of the preaching of the message will harden them even more. This would not be intended to discourage us from sowing the word of God. He's not going to tell us to, to discourage us, right, as he's telling us how the kingdom advances. Because behind this truth is the beauty that King Jesus has a people for his kingdom. And when they hear the word of God, God's going to grant them the secret of the kingdom of God. He'll open their eyes to behold Jesus Christ. He'll awaken their cold, dead hearts by the power of the Spirit and give them ears to hear and a genuine saving faith. God's sovereign and powerful purposes to save are what assures us to share the word. They're what gives us confidence to sow the word of God to the hearts of those around us. We know God will save. We know Jesus laid his life down for his sheep. We know he's gonna call them to himself. He knows them by name. They are his. And so that grants us assurance that as we sow, as we share, as we cast the word of God among the soils, they will find root in God's kind purposes. The secret of the kingdom requires knowledge to understand the secret. It's a gift from God. So we sow confidently, knowing Jesus will save. Which brings us to these different soils of Mark chapter 4 which describes these different ways that people hear the word of God. It's, it's good to ask yourself, what, where is my heart in this? How do I relate to the word of God? Look at verse 15. Jesus offers a reflection on the parable, and then he gives the, some clarifying remarks. Verse 15, these are the ones along the path. So the first soil is the path where the word of God is sown, and they hear. But Satan immediately comes, takes away the word that is sown in them. So although this person hears the word of God, it has no impact upon them. They may hear the word weekly, but they leave and it's gone. It's snatched up as quickly as it came. It's like water off a duck's back. It doesn't stick. Satan snatches it up. Hard as hard as I-25. It just can't get any root. It has nothing to stick to you. Rather occupy your mind with something else. God's word remains closed. There's no desire for the word. Satan has no problem coming through, snatching it up, and running off with it to your dismay. But then he goes on to the rocky soil, verses 16 and 17. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves. But endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So there's immediate growth, but there's no deep root. You joyfully accept the word, celebrate that you heard it, might even go out and talk about it. But as soon as external pressure arises, tribulation and persecution, you're out, done. 
tribulation, if there's pressures, trials from the world, done. Persecution, any oppression, any harassment, any difficulty attached to the name of Jesus, done. No root. You want all the joy Jesus has to offer? You'll take the forgiveness. You want the comfort? No conviction. No conviction. I want the benefits. I don't want devotion. I want nothing of repentance. I don't want to have to deal with the sinfulness of my own heart. I mean, allegiance to Jesus is easy until it isn't. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Right? Like, when you're tested, as soon as it's tough, the word in this person's life is withered because of the pressures of the world. To think of suffering with Christ is just not something they'd consider. So the word comes, growth occurs, quickly withers. And then you have the soil with thorns, verses 18 and 19. These are the ones sown among the thorns. They're the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this one, the word is received, grows, increases for a time, but internal fleshly desires overcome the word and then choke out your desire for it. Like you approve of so much of the word, but you're not giving Christ your full heart. You're not giving Christ your full life. So the cares of the world, he says, the deceitfulness of riches come in. Our yearnings will always exceed our earnings. The, the person's standard of living will dictate their devotion to Jesus. Their devotion to Jesus won't dictate their standard of living. Money has more of their heart than Jesus does. So there's a desires for other things. It's kind of a catch-all, isn't it? He says just, and the desires for other things. Something that could be a blessing when it's enjoyed in moderation becomes a poison when it's enjoyed in excess or when it supplants our enjoyment of spiritual pleasures, Jim Morick once said. You may think that you're, you know, you're not all that worldly. You make enough money, you think, I'm not, I'm not that worldly. Like, I don't make a lot of money. I can't be deceived by riches. That's not really my concern here. But Jesus just opens the door for desires for other things. Like hunting. I'll call myself out first. And fishing. Sports, food, exercise, health, wellness, reading, vacation. Good things can choke out our desire for the Word of God. Those are great things, all of them. And I encourage you to use all of them for the glory of God and for your own personal good. But when they become excessive and they choke out the desire for the Word, the desire for other things can choke out our desire for Jesus. So Jesus warns against those things desires. But then the final soil, verse 20, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones that hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Those who hear the word and do it. I wonder if that's, I wonder if James had this in mind when he wrote his letter. Those who hear the word and do it are those in this good soil. The first three soils heard in a quick, impulsive, superficial way. The tense of the verb was a kind of a past tense, aorist tense, just a quick, superficial, impulsive way. In one ear and out the other. No heeding, no obeying, no submitting. 
casual hearing, but it won't withstand the world, it won't withstand the flesh, it won't withstand the devil. This hearing, in verse 20, is in the present tense, and it has in mind this continual, ongoing hearing. This person hears the word of God, takes it in, submits himself or herself to it, is grateful for Jesus speaking, recognizes the sin in their own heart, how far short of God's glory they've fallen, and they turn to Jesus for grace. They turn to Jesus for help. They continue to deepen their roots in the Jesus and his words that they're hearing. There's a continual hearing, constant. Sin will begin to be hated because it's exposed in the hearing of Jesus' words. Sin will then be repented and resisted. This is gonna grow up to bear fruit, it says. Christ was gonna be loved, trusted in, followed, worshiped, obeyed. By his word, Jesus creates loving obedience to his very word. Not, not slavery, but total transformation. Not begrudging slavery, but total transformation where you willingly and gladly and delightfully hear and submit to his word. And it goes on to bear fruit, he says. Fruit, you think of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things that flow out of the beauty of Christ Jesus himself. You hear his word, it takes root in your life and it begins to bear fruit out and it looks like the king. It looks like Jesus. It's slow, it's steady, but it bears fruit for the king. It bears fruit for his kingdom. Three soils lead to hell. But one is marked by true transformation. And the clearest indicator that our heart is the good soil that receives the word is a lifetime of bearing fruit for King Jesus. Of hearing his word and doing it. The truest evidence of your faith is a genuine lifetime of following Jesus. When I've had baptism interviews, especially in my last role when I was meeting with children for those discussions, I would have to make sure they understood this point. Your baptism is not what saves you. Jesus alone saves you. And the single greatest evidence in your life going forward that your salvation is true and genuine is that you keep following Jesus. You just keep bearing fruit and looking like Jesus. It's the continual transformation of receiving his word, hearing his voice, loving him, and following him over and over. So Jesus says, take care how you hear his word. And although three out of four seems bad, right, in this case, the emphasis is not on the three that fail. The emphasis that's meant to encourage us here at the end is the massive harvest this is a breathtaking and impressive harvest. With small, seemingly insignificant beginnings, it's going to yield 30, 60, 100-fold harvest. The rich harvest can occur even with unfruitful seed all around. Obstacles abound, but a harvest beyond compare is genuinely coming. If we are faithful, Frag fam, if we're faithful to go share the word of Jesus, things may look bleak. 
But by the power and the grace of God, growth will occur and fruit will grow beyond our wildest imagination. God's at work, hidden, unseen, unobserved maybe. The mistaken and unseen sowing words of God that are cast without knowledge can yield a bumper crop. Spurgeon was just testing the acoustics in the room and the guy got saved. When you speak, the king speaks and his kingdom advances. Let's be people who hear the word of our king, who in our own lives then grow and bear fruit a hundredfold and speak the words of our king and watch his kingdom advance. Our king speaks, his kingdom advances when we speak. Let's be people of his word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you that it is a firm foundation. Thank you that by the power of your word, your church will be saved and built up. Thank you, Lord, that you have created in each of us soft hearts, a soil that was ready to receive your your word, and you've granted us faith and assurance in you, Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, that we would be a church that's used by you, that's powerful in your word, to speak your word and see your kingdom advance. We want to see your church built up. We want to see people saved by the power of your gospel. So empower us to speak it, Lord, to share it in the ebb and flow and normal uh, workings of our days and our lives. Lord, make us faithful to speak your truth and see your kingdom advance. Lord Jesus, we are thankful. We're thankful for you coming the first time. We're thankful for this task you've called us to. As we enter into a season of Advent, we remember your first coming and we anticipate your second. May we be people that submit to your word, King Jesus, and share the beauties of your kingship with those around us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.